Welcome to Main Menu for July 31st, 2010. I'm Jamie Pauls. On this week's show, Daryl Shandro concludes his interview with Nancy Miracle of Digital Miracles about Digitize, a barcode scanning app for the iPhone. Next, we hear an interview from Sarotech's coverage of the ACB 2010 convention. In this interview, we hear about some great deals from independent living aids. Finally, Chase Crispin begins a series on the Refresher Braille Braille display from the American Printing House for the Blind. That's all coming up on this edition of Main Menu. Now, um, we probably are going to, to start winding down, but I, it's something just came to me that the listeners will be interested in. You know, we've, we've scanned things and we, we've kind of known where labels and barcodes are in our, in our demonstration. But I think it's important, you're, you're, you're constantly taking a stream. You're not, we're not sitting there pushing the scan button again when we, when we need to try again. Correct. So if we had to turn a box over because we scanned the wrong side of the box and there's nothing there, we, we've determined that, like the camera's a foot or away or whatever, and it, there's nothing there. So now we, we have four sides to a box. We don't have to do anything, right? We just we just uh, uh, systematically move the box until right until we've uh, found the code. Is that right? Right. right. The, the, this is not. I and I didn't understand this until somebody mentioned to me that there actually was a product that had worked that way. Yeah. Where you took a photo and then it would try and figure it out. Right. That is that is not at all the way we work. Right. Uh, what happens is basically you click scan. We start taking video, and we keep taking video until either we find an object or you tell us to stop. Right, because there is a cancel button in there. There is a cancel button. So you can go ahead and um, uh, do a thing where you hold the camera. As a matter of fact, we recommend it the first time you uh, scan, say, a... Um, a, a can of um, something like Coca-Cola or something until you've gotten used to it. We actually recommend that you put the camera down, uh, just brace it on a table uh, so that you minimize the motion on one end. Right. And then on the uh, other hand, we actually recommend that you slowly roll the, cam the can towards the camera and roll it away until, oh. it, until, until it can actually find that uh, code for you. Oh, so the can is not... Uh the can is not vertical, it's, it's horizontal and it's being rolled? It, it, it's, a, it's an easier motion for you, it's probably easier on the can too. Oh wow, and so, and so and you have the iPhone held up like this, vertically? Right. Remember, so, it, it, it doesn't matter to us how the, the barcode is oriented. We right, that's we don't true. Care. So once you realize that we really don't care whether the barcode is upside down, right side up, crooked, jolly woggle, whatever you have, it, it gives you a whole lot more freedom of motion in terms of trying to understand your object. It's not like we're trying to read a page of text or something with that no. KNFB reader or something no, like that. No, that's correct. One, no. of the, one of the things that we decided as a, as a design precept was that uh, particularly since our audience was unlikely to uh, understand focus yeah, in, yeah, in a real material know. way, um, <laughs> that we could not be dependent on it. And we couldn't be dependent on uh, alignment 
uh, we needed the, the software needed to be smart enough that the human didn't have to worry about those things. I was uh, I did probably what was probably the first uh, like a couple days after I got my iPhone 4 I did it was probably the first blind decided you know iPhone 4 FaceTime call oh wow and my friend she's she's saying that like you know I was always showing her things right she's like Daryl you need to move the camera you need to be further away or it needs to be closer you know what I mean because okay. I, like, I don't understand you know focus very well right right, and, right. and she's like and, you know, so it, I, that, I understand exactly what you're talking about. Those of you with iPhone 4s out there, uh, do a, do a, a FaceTime call with the, one of your sighted pals or something, and you'll find out right away <laughs> that right. you probably don't understand focus. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and because that's part of the environment, then it's incumbent on us to design for that. Yeah. Because it would not be a realistic thing to say, well, you don't understand focus, so we're going to teach you. Right. That's too much work. Doesn't doesn't make sense. And <laughs> it doesn't it, and, work. And yeah. it doesn't make sense in the real world. Yeah. So it makes uh, it's a better design choice for us to then say, well, we're going to set up this app uh-huh. so that you, the human, don't, don't worry about it, and we, the, the programmers on the computer, do. And then you know, once the computer's used to worrying about that, then it's nobody's problem except the computers, right? Awesome. So, like for instance, when when we were dealing with like scanning that stuff. Uh, as, as you, you said, no, you don't take a picture. You just hold the, hold, hold the phone. It's a scanner. Move the object. After you've gotten a little used to using it, you're going to find that you hold both the object and the phone, and you move them around a little bit. But you get a feel for it, and it's best to start out stationary as much as possible and, until you get a little more practice. And, and, and there is practice. There's, I, I'm not going to tell you there isn't. I, I think that First of all, most devices have learning curve of one way or another. Um, they took me around for a walk with a mechanical seeing eye dog yesterday, and it was clear that that would have had quite a, a learning curve on it. Wait, wait, a mechanical seeing eye dog? Yeah, the, the the folks over there with one of the uh, dog stands have a, uh, a a frame that has a harness on it. Oh, oh, you're talking about a you? So you had a Juno walk? I had a Juno walk. Oh, okay. Very educational. My dog would never have behaved as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to say, I'm, the dogs Aww. at this convention have my entire respect. They're very good dogs. No, the point is that there, 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 is, there, was a, there would have been a learning curve for me with a dog. Uh, there's a learning curve with uh, visual, visible light scanning. There's right. a learning curve with writing. There's a learning curve with all sorts of things. That's right. Um, I think the learning curve is fairly short. And I think the benefit of having the product, having an item in your pocket where you can actually scan stuff when you want to know what it is, uh, warrants spending the you know 15 minutes or hour or whatever it is that it takes you to learn it. Awesome. And the, and there's no question that after you after you learn it, as as you've noted, all of a sudden you get the the knack of it and you go, oh, this is easy. How convenient. Now, okay, so printing printing the labels. Um, you don't even have to use the envelope function of your printer, right? You can just no. put them in as a regular page? They're full sheets of paper. And face up or face down? Uh, face down and, well, it depends on the, the printer. There are some rules and you'll see them on our website. Oh, I will. Okay. Um, laser printers, you need to follow the instruction from your printer manufacturer because they are not consistent. Oh, they're not. Uh, inkjet printers are consistent. If it's a front feed inkjet printer, it goes. the labels go with the business side, the label side down. Okay. Okay, if it's one that has a back-feeding printer, the labels would go with the label face cut facing towards you. Wow. Uh, it turns out that inkjet printers are absolutely consistent in their handling. But not laser printers. Not laser printers. Some laser printers reverse and some do not. 
So you need to take a look at what your laser printer instructions are. There actually usually is a tactile uh, piece of information on the feeder of a laser printer that will tell you how something has to be positioned down or up. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Run, run your fingers across. Uh, you know, you don't have the, the feed tray. And the, sometimes it's on the feed tray, sometimes it's an out tray. But usually there's a feed tray there. And if you run your fingers across it, there will typically be an image of the piece of paper. Is this where the paper goes in Then we're talking about, right? I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm they, my printer uh, Hew- knowledge is like... Yeah, Hewlett Packard usually puts it both places. They're okay. very good on their ergonomic and engineering. Okay. Um, and I think in most cases, Epson and, and those companies have followed it. Okay, and, and you'll find it's, it's informative. Any place where the paper goes in... Uh, you'll find that there's a little diagram that's of a, of a sheet of paper. Okay. It has multiple lines across it to indicate front side. Yeah. And then there will be a corner that's bent over uh-huh. uh, to indicate whether that should be up or down. And you can feel the corner bent over because it's, it's a little triangular thing as if the corner of the paper were bent. Oh, and it'll point? And it'll, tell you, it'll tell you whether, the, uh, whether you should feed it with the... Uh, business side, the the um, side you want printed on, because that's the side that has the lines and the diagram, whether that should be up or down. So will it point up or down? It'll point into the printer or, or out? Yeah, typ- typically what will happen, and, and you, it, it depends on, on which right. kind of printer it is, right. but you can tell by whether there's lots of little lines on it okay. uh, facing up. Oh, okay, because that's representing printing. That's representing printing, and that oh. means that you're the side... The, surface you print on should be up. Right. If it's got a corner as if it were folded over, that means turn it over. That is, you know what, I had no, I had no idea. I, I didn't know what the, they were when, when I ran across them either, and one of the, I think it was a salesman at the Fry's computer store explained that that was what that meant, that you could tell that on any printer. And that's what those little icons mean. And they actually are standard. I just am not recalling them quite correctly. But see, I've, I've now I've learned. Now I and the ACB radio listening audience have learned this. Yeah, and it's, it, it's, well, it's, it's very handy because uh, on the case of a laser printer where you don't know yeah. the feed direction. But I noticed, for instance, on even on my inkjet printer, because I've got an inkjet printer that is a combo printer that also feeds things in for copying and faxing. Oh, right, multifunction, yeah. I noticed that on the uh, portion that takes the uh, documents in for copying, those icons also appear to tell me whether to put stuff to be copied face up or face down. Wow. So, and it's tactile, and it's just embossed in the plastic. Amazing. The things, the things you don't know. Well, there you are. It's an accessibility feature that we didn't even know about as a community. Yeah, it's, it, and, and it's a handy little thing to know. <laughs> you know, very, very important. Does, does that does that uh, that appear in the envelope tray area too? I don't have an envelope tray, so I can't answer it. But okay. I strongly suspect it does. Wow. Uh, Hewlett Packard, who's pioneered a lot of this stuff, is very good on tactile accessibility. Uh, it's, wow. it's something that's been a, a matter of importance and a, and a design principle for them for a long, long time. We'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see if uh, uh, Brother. There's a there's a particular type of Brother laser printer that I've been recommending a lot because there's a very accessible web interface. Okay. You know, and it, and it actually tells you how your toner's doing, how your drum is doing. Sweet. You know, and it, you know because a lot of times you don't get that information until mm-hmm. things stop working right yes I've had that experience <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, well I'll uh, check my printer and I'll let everybody know if it's in yeah. fact uh, there the, the places to explore are the um, 
where, where the where the paper goes in, yep. the, the outside or top edge of that the area. Outside or top edge, okay. And to explore the if you if you've got a separate thing where you're feeding in th things in for copying or faxing, okay. uh, explore that tray. Okay. Uh, and it's it's usually closer to the edge where the uh, paper feeds in. Now, is it a little square? Is it what, what shape? You said it was a triangle. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's in the shape of a piece of paper. Oh, it's the shape of a piece of paper. The, okay. the case where you have a triangle is if they're telling you to turn the paper over. Oh, it's, it's, oh like, okay. it's like a bent edge. Right, okay, I think that's the, what you're referring to. Okay. Yeah, I, I think what they do is they're indicating that the edge is bent back. Because, oh. because in the case where they want you to feed back, you'll see that triangle and the little lines around the triangle indicating it should be on the underside. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So that's face down then. Yeah, that would be oh, face so. down. Yeah. And if it, if it's supposed to be face up, then it'll just be little lines across it as if it were writing. That's, you know what, that is just, there's so many tips like this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a handy little feature. I use it all the time. I should, I should uh, write, write, write that up. <laughs> yeah, you, you actually, just as, as a thing, you might want to actually talk to uh, Hewlett Packard and ask them if they have somebody who can talk to you about it, because I know that they've done a ton of work on their products I'll have to, to make them tactically yeah. apparent. Absolutely. All right, well, um, any other, uh, any other uh, future plans? Are we, are we looking at any... Anything else that you can talk about right now? Uh, oh, we 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 have a we have a lot of good stuff. Um, okay. We obviously are uh, going to be releasing on the Android shortly for people who prefer Android phones to to Apple phones. Um, we have a number of things that we will be. So you're okay with? The, are you able to work with the limited? screen access capabilities that are currently on the Android? The Android is frustrating. Um, it's got <laughs> such a beautiful operating system. Huh. It has an unbelievable uh, designer's library of gestures Okay. Okay. that are available to us as people who are designing for it. But the uh, design philosophy that the best will somehow rise to the top and that they're going to wait for that to happen and for acclimation and natural growth there's certainly some sort of argument about that. That's sort of like Keynesian economics accepting computers. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not a good practical uh, methodology for the short term. And to me it's frustrating because as a designer I see, well, here's one application and it uses a certain kind of gesture. Here's another application that uses another gesture. And here's another application that's not accessible at all. Ah. And that uh, the lack of gesture consistency is, I think, a thing that's very hampering. I would uh, think that would be hard to learn. It is, because yeah, you'll is. find one application where, for help, you touch a help button, another one where you uh, put with your finger the uh, gesture for a question mark on the screen. Oh, ick. And that kind of lack of consistency is, is very hard on, on the users because it means that you have to end up essentially memorizing each application. Okay. And oh, yeah. the, that's, that's one of the things I think is uh, very elegant about Apple's implementation. There's there's certainly some things that as a designer I would like to have different um, in, in Apple's implementation of voiceover, but all in all, as a as, as a method of doing it where it enforces consistency and a certain kind of performance in all the applications, I think is a good thing because it means that you can expect that your gesture will be in the same thing in each application. Uh, yeah, I told I told uh, someone a few days ago. I said, you know, if you'd learn, if you'll learn just like maybe twelve gestures. Yes. You can. Uh, you can do everything on the iPhone except typing. So if you learn 
12 gestures and you learn to you know type or to use a Bluetooth keyboard or something you've got the iPhone you've got just about every app you know on the phone you can use right I mean once you know you know double tap triple tap yeah. you know what what flick. those mean flick um, you know how to how to turn things on and turn things off yeah then you know them and you know them for all the applications it's amazing and <laughs> there there's a an elegance if you will of usage there and an ease of use that then makes everything uh, convenient. And, and one of the things that, that at this point is, I think, a, a, an issue with the Android is that there is not a consistent gesture language. Okay. And obviously there's some people who are working on that. Uh, TV Raman's got a very interesting uh, Google board called Eyes Free. Okay. E-Y-E-S-F-R-E-E. -E, okay. And people who are interested in the Android sh should certainly go over and, and participate in that. Now, does that, does that work with, uh, uh, is that associated with the TalkBack screen reader? Um, it's associated with basically an, some open source design issues. Okay. Where uh, a lot of the purpose of that is to discuss, uh, for instance, gesture libraries and reasonable ways of doing things. Gotcha. So it's a good place to go and talk to people who are designing for that. I mean, for instance, we participate in that just in the same way that we participate in a lot of the iPhone boards. Gotcha. Oh, wow. Well, again, you are, it sounds like you're, you're participating as opposed to uh, saying, this is the way we're going to do it. Boom, you know. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, we want to find out what's going to work for people. We're not going to tell you all what works for you. Right. Because uh, we don't know. Well, you, you would be surprised, perhaps, uh, well, that what may very well be. Um, so I'm glad you you are very innovative and you're actually participating in these right. forums. Right. I mean, because the thing is, the the more people we have, the better ideas we're going to get. Yeah. Um, we certainly didn't think of everything. We won't think of anything, everything rather. Right. And one of the things we really depend on our user community, and for instance, on our beta testers. Our our beta testers outnumber our designers eight to one, and there's a reason because we want to get that feedback and we want to get those ideas uh, from people who really will be using it as they would use it. Absolutely. So are we going to see other, uh, are we going to see a money identifier or any other? Maybe. Maybe? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> we have a number of very interesting ideas uh, that, that we're exploring. Okay. Um, all of which kind of share a common characteristic. Uh, and it was something I think that we were talking about a little bit before we got yep. started here. Um, you know, the, the, there's a whole bunch of problems associated with being blind. Yep. Okay, and we aren't going to eliminate blindness. We aren't going to yeah. fix it. Yeah. Uh, that is way beyond, it's like world hunger, you know. Exactly. We aren't going to get there. No. But there are also a number of small, well-constrained, um, projects that are very large points of irritation. Yeah. It, it, it's like digitized. Digitized deals with one single problem, which yeah. has to do with labels and label recognition. Yeah. And it shouldn't be a big issue, but it is a huge issue because you have all these boxes and is it like breakfast cereal or dog food or rat poison? They're all the same size. Yeah. And, oh. but, yeah. <laughs> and about the same heft. Oh, I like I like that analogy. Yuck. Right. Ooh. I don't either. Um, <laughs> but it, it was a small, constrained, solvable problem that had very high impact. Yeah. And so, even though we can't solve the large problems, we could solve that one. And just solving that one problem is useful. 
color identification. That's another small, constrained problem. It's not a big problem. It's not world hunger. It's, you know, it's, it's not anything big. But it's a small, irritating issue that hits people every single day. We would like <laughs> as much as possible to put this on an ordinary consumer footing. Yeah. You know, where you pay the same thing for your applications that anybody would pay for any application. It's not one of those special discounts, well, you're blind, let's double the price kind of thing, which, you know, seems to be, you know, a lot of people seem to feel happens. Now, now what, what's happening on the screen um, in these apps um, uh, visually? Are, are sighted people ever interested in this? So, so are sighted people ever interested in a, a barcode scanner, for instance, where they don't have to line up the, you know, the... The I've heard a number of stories from people who are sighted and who are like me, very nearsighted or very farsighted, right. uh -huh. um, that they had the app and they went to the store and the boxes all looked alike. And the question is, is it the one that has chocolate Pop-Tarts or strawberry Pop-Tarts? Okay. And uh, being able to scan the barcode at that point is very handy. So you do have a good, you do have a visual user interface that, that's going on yes. uh, along with Yes. The, uh, what, what, when you hear the reading right. of... Um, like the scan button and all that? Well, it's a scan button. There's yeah. actually a button on the screen okay. that has the word scan on it. Okay. When you hear it read to you that it's Lion Brand okay. Yarn Vanna's Choice okay. Color Colonial Blue, yeah. that's actually displayed in a little box. Awesome. Okay, so this is relevant for a sighted person. If they, if they wanted a scanner, well, I want a scanner, but I don't really, I don't really want to sit there and figure out how to line the barcode up and, and do this and that. Yes. Or I'm colorblind, I'm sighted, but I'm colorblind, or I have problems with color perception. Right, right, right. And again, I don't want to use eye spectrum or something where I have to look at the image and kind of fiddle around with it. Yeah, there, 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 are, there are a number of iPhone-based color detectors, but without exception, they're, uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not very... And they're not very satisfactory in terms of results. They're not very accurate. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're an engineering company, so we aren't going to release this unless we can get yeah. the same result under all light conditions, period. See, I guess, I guess my idea is I want to, I guess I kind of want to market your apps to some of my sighted friends and get sure. them to spend money too, right? This would, you see this what would I'm be saying? good. See, then uh, we can develop more stuff for you. Because yeah. You, right, right, right. Um, I know a few people that might be, might find these things interesting. So. Yes, they're, they're, they're actually yeah. very, they're very handy. Yeah. Um, one of the comments we have had from sighted people is that they thought our interface looked strange. Uh, Why is that? Um, the, the, the word I get is, quote, minimalist or zen. Oh. oh. It looks very zen. And what I realized was one of the things that we had done was, of course, we wanted to make it so that the applications were very usable by touch. Right. But when I actually uh, experimented in, in some cases with uh, navigating websites right. and stuff, uh, with, and this was under the advice of one of my friends who's not cited, I put a pillowcase over my head. Yeah. And tied it around my neck. Oh, wow. So, uh, <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, holes in it? No, 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 no. Uh, be careful. And then, and, and, then, and then tried to navigate things uh, uh, uh -huh. using a, a, a conventional sort of screen reader. And I found out how very noisy things work. All you have to do is wear a blindfold. You don't have to put the pillowcase around you. Oh, I, I had a pillowcase and okay. I didn't have a blindfold. Okay, so yeah, things are noisy. Things were very noisy. And yeah. one of our things that we decided to do was to try and make them be tranquil. Gotcha. And as a result, they are also visually uh, very simple. They're, you won't find fancy diagrams and pretty pictures and lots of colors. Our, our uh, application is actually uh, largely black and white. So some people may not like that, huh? 
their problem, not mine. Yeah, no, I know. I'm just saying, no. You know, I, I don't no. want to be. I don't want to be hard-hearted about this. Yeah. But there's <laughs> no reason to clutter up the interface no. No. Uh, with stuff that doesn't really make sense for the people who are using it. And exactly. the fact. The fact remains, really what we're doing here is we're taking the phone, right. uh, its display, which is kind of a visual device, and yeah. really using it more as a tactile device. Exactly, yeah. So even though it's got displays on it, its primary purpose is to have uh, control surfaces. And Absolutely. that's not the way an application normally looks. And so, so that is a little odd to people when they first see it, because they just see these uh, control surfaces, and they don't see pretty pictures of whatever it might be. And, and they aren't going to because it's yeah. not meaningful to the application. Right. So, you know, that's one of those cho cases where I'm chief designer. I get to say, well, exactly. this, is, this is a tactile application that's intended to run this way and it's not going to have pretty pictures and that's the end of it. Some of our testers are low vision, some of them are yeah. profoundly low vision, yeah. and some of them are people who have, you know, sort of navigation type sight. Yeah. And uh, nonetheless, it's still handy to be able to scan things. And, and, and to find out what flavor it is and that kind of things where, like, I can't read small type on things. And oh. so it's very useful to me because I can see these consumer products, scan it, and it will tell me what that small type says. So see, you use it. I do, of course. <laughs> Yay! Everything in our house has got labels on it, and I don't, I don't think we have a, a, a thing in the pantry or probably any place in our household that has a barcode on it that hasn't been scanned. <laughs> Nothing is safe. So, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of, you know, the digitized story. Uh, we certainly do intend to develop uh, other interesting things. They, they will have the characteristic of being things that are small, scopable, and irritating problems. Absolutely. Well, I can, I can certainly uh, vouch for a, a, lot of, a lot of those of us in the listening audience in the blind community who uh, appreciate having good solutions to those uh, irritating and, and potentially uh, very uh, hazardous hazardous <laughs> situations. They are that. they are just plain hazardous. I yeah. mean, think of all the things that come in tubes: toothpaste, glue, you know, all kinds of things come in tubes. Absolutely. Anchovy paste. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ew! I don't want to. I don't want to brush my teeth with it. No, and, and and you don't want to put uh, super glue on your pizza. No. Ew. And I mean, I'm sure you know we we usually have ways of figuring things out before that happens, but I still I don't want to have glue on my hands or. No, 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 yeah. no, no. And I, I bring that up. I bring that up as a facetious example. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But but there are a lot of things that do appear in identical containers. We, yeah. We've we've got a lovely display over at our booth of things that are identically uh, that are in identical containers that you don't want to mix up. And probably one of the uh, best one is it turns out that balsamic vinegar and olive oil uh, come in identically shaped containers. Oh wow! And uh, you know the manufacturer may think that's cute, or maybe they just got a good sale on those kind of bottles. Uh, but you don't want to put vinegar where you ha want oil, or vice versa. Mm. And there is no way to tell them apart by touch. More critically, expensive wine and cheap plonk come in the same kind of bottles oh too. And, you know, you don't want to open the thing you were saving for the birthday party when you, what you really want is just something to uh, you know go ahead and, and, and stick in your beef stew while you're cooking it. So th there, there's lots of cases where there are things that are absolutely identical where you do want to tell them apart, and and that was just kind of the problem we were trying to solve. Excellent. Okay, well, uh, tell uh, tell all of us how we can uh, how we can reach you and uh, how to uh, 
purchase the products and find out more information? Sure. If you want to uh, find out more about the product, uh, come to our website. It is uh, digit-eyes, D-I-G-I-T-E-Y-E-S.com. Uh, we've got an audio tour where one of our wine testers actually walks you through how he uses it, including printing labels and things. We've got use cases that people have told us how they used it, which is always informative and, and often interesting. Uh, we have samples where you can try and actually create samples for the codes. We have actually sample lookups if you're curious to see if the items that you have barcodes on would be found. Uh, you can test the database and assure yourself that your items will be there. And, and, and we also, you can, if you have a barcode scanner, you can do that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. If you've got a, uh, a USB uh, scanner or actually an, any kind of keyboard port scanner uh, that emulates your keyboard input, you can just plug it into your computer and then scan things to your heart content and use our database and see what they really are. Um, so we, we would encourage you to do that, to assure yourself that you're comfortable with the idea of getting the product. If you have questions, we have a nice link that says contact us. And if, as we devoutly hope, you should wish to purchase it, there is a link that says click here to buy. And that will take you over to the Apple Store, because we sell through uh, the iTunes Store, to the correct link where you can get it. You can also look up on the Apple Store uh, digit eyes, digit dash eyes, and you will find uh, both the uh, application and also our uh, free test version if you want to try that. And that reads, just reads the labels? Yeah, the, the, the free version reads the text labels only. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's useful for two things, one of which is it gives you a chance to actually try it and see if it's something that you'd like. And the other one is if you have the full package and you have somebody in your household um, who also needs to read it but who doesn't need the full package, then they can just get the freebie one and read the text labels that you've created. Wow. So uh, we, we, we want to make this be useful, you know, and, and ultimately being able to create labels that only you can read for text things isn't, isn't probably as useful as sharing them. Things like your voice labels, those, those are things that we think are probably private and, and they're, they're, they're notes for yourself. They're, they're, they're descriptions of things that you need to know yourself. But if you've put labels on you know, other things, you might want to share them and that's the way to do it. Absolutely. All right, well, um, Nancy, it was uh, nice uh, talking with you and thanks for sharing with the ACB Radio listening audience all about uh, digitized. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and if you have any questions, uh, by all means, come to our website and click that little button that says Contact Us, and uh, let me know what you'd like to know. Thank you for your time. This is uh, Daryl Shandro reporting for ACB Radio. According to a representative from Digital Miracles, the introductory price of $29.99 for Digitize, as stated on the website, is good until sometime in August. At that time, there will be a feature enhancement to Digitize, which will raise the price less than $10. Hey, live at ACB 2010, this is Michael Off, and I caught up here with uh, Fran, who we've spoken with before at ILA Independent Living AIDS. How you doing, Fran? I'm fine, Michael. Thank you for uh, stopping by. Well, no problem. I want to find out what's new. I know you have a new talking phone. That's always uh, popular. Uh, right. Made by Serene Interventions, we have a cordless talking button phone. Uh, that came out um, around the time of uh, the ATIA uh, in January. 
Uh, right now, the newest item that we have, it's only been in the U.S. for two weeks, is the um, Milestone 312. Okay, um, talk about that. Um, okay. Uh, that is, of course, the newest version of the 311. The difference between them is that uh, this one has a gig of memory on board. <coughs> uh, it has a clock. It has a radio, an FM radio. Uh, it reads now all of the uh, book formats. So it will uh, allow the user to uh, listen to NLS, Audible.com. It, at one point, it was just a daisy reader. Well, they've had a lot of features to that then. Yes, it, it's, uh, it, it took them a couple of years to get it moving, but they finally got it done, and it's uh, a very popular item here at uh, ACB right now. And what is that selling for? Uh, the uh, price is $449. Okay, so that's one gig of storage, and then you can add to that, right? Yeah, it has um, expandable uh, capability because of the uh, scan disk uh, slot. You can go all the way up to 32 gig. Okay, very good. I'm really curious on these serene talking phones here. Yes. Uh, well, that one, um, they, they are a company that generally uh, works with the uh, hard of hearing community, but had the um, opportunity to work with them in order to get a large button phone that actually allowed the users to hear the buttons that they were pressing. And so they've stepped out of their normal environment of amplified phones, and they made this phone for the low vision community. And um, it's reasonably priced. Um, it's about uh, $75, 80 and um, it's really a very innovative uh, new unit. And what aspects of it talk? Uh, well, first of all, of course, the keypad talks. And then there's a number of other buttons that do recall um, and... Um, the memory key buttons, so there's uh, some limitation to some of the buttons, but in general, most of them talk. But the caller ID... That it doesn't have caller ID right now. Okay. The next uh, generation of it will have caller ID, and yes, it will talk. Okay. I, I was under the impression there were three three different phones. There are, but two of them are, are uh, for uh, people with um, hearing loss. And of course, that doesn't mean that they that it's not usable. It's just that when you're uh, getting an amplified phone, generally you're going to pay a higher dollar figure for it. So if you have low vision and good hearing, you don't need to spend that extra money. Okay, very good. Are, uh, are you selling the pin friend? We have been selling it. We were the first company in the U.S. to sell it. Of course, now it's available through uh, most of uh, the um, different types of exhibitors that are here in the hall. Uh, it's a fabulous product, um, affordable. They, everyone basically runs at about $139.95. And um, I think it's a must-have type of product for people. I think so. And uh, last I spoke with you, you were going to be a tester in the U.S. for labels that could endure laundry cycles. Has right. there been any progress with that? Not, they are still testing them in Europe. They are not having the greatest of luck with it. Uh, they are um, running all different types of tests before it actually um, you know, kits, comes here to the U.S. for me to prototype. Okay. I want to have to make some different kind of uh, tag or something. Maybe yeah, a little it's more gonna have waterproof. To be, it's going to have to be a special type of uh, material. 
Okay, very good. And then what other items are you selling here? Okay, uh, we have um, a whole new watch series that's very innovative. Um, right now, it's available only in the talking, uh, on, in the, I'm sorry, time-only mode. Uh, but we will in the fall have it with an alarm as well. The main feature that's different from any of the other talking watches, irrespective of who manufactures them, is that it only has one battery. And anybody that's a a user of talking um, watches knows that they've always been an issue with the two-battery format. The the jewelers don't know what to change, and in a lot of cases, they actually break the watch. So this is a one-battery watch like everyone else that might use a Timex or whatever. Um, In addition to that, it has onboard uh, instructions so that the person doesn't have to always try to remember how to set a watch. Uh, In addition to that, it tells you the day, date, and year. It will enable a person to change from a female voice to a male voice or vice versa at a push of a button. And um, the watch face itself... Um, will automatically synchronize as if it was like an atomic watch, although it's not, so that when they uh, do the audible uh, time, the face will automatically sync within three to five minutes. So they're no longer walking around with a, a watch face that doesn't match the time that they're hearing. Oh, very good. Yeah. Very so we're good. excited about that. And um, even I'm actually trying to get some opinions at ACB right now on a prototype for the alarm-style watch that we're going to move forward with. And if anybody in the listening audience um, has a minute to stop at booth one, I'd love to get your opinion on whether we should have all the buttons uh, recessed except the one that uh, gives the time, or if we uh, should have um, the uh, buttons in the same familiar pattern where they're actually outside the frame of the watch. Well, very good. That's good. You're working then with the manufacturer to make make corrections or adjustments. I'm sorry. The goal is basically we want things to be as satisfactory as possible for the the consumer. Right. And of course, uh, some people just have different opinions, so you have to do a consensus kind of thing too and, and see what you're up against. That's right. Okay, and then what else here? Uh, oh, my gosh. We have a, right here in the booth itself, um, we have um, a lot of uh, different uh, kitchen types of items. I know ACB people have always been uh, popular uh, for that type of stuff, especially way back to the MRS days. So, so what's new? What, what's uh, new in, in terms of kitchen items? so much that they're new, it's just that... Um, or, or popular selling, or yeah, they, do the, people well, keep coming back for year after yeah, year? Oh, or? year after year, the same things. Uh, the uh, talking, uh, cooking thermometer, uh, the double spatula that we sell that's Teflon, um, the timers, of course, the talking and the large, you know, cooking timers. Um, those are like standard, you know, items that people come back for all the time. Wow, very good. Any kind of calculators or? Um... We have um, a new calculator that um, uh, has comes with an earbud directly from the manufacturer, and it's always best if you can avoid modifying things if you don't have to. So that's a, a fairly new. It's a desktop, and of course, it all talks. Now, back on the on the phones, you have a cell phone that's not talking but is large print, so someone with low vision might look at this as a device. What is that? That is correct. 
Uh, we are the exclusive distributor in the United States for an entire product uh, line for phones that are made in uh, Europe, and the company name is Doro. And um, they came out with two cell phones for low vision folks. And um, the one is a bit smaller than the other. It's um, got uh, nice, clear white numbers on black. And the screen, when, it, when you're punching in the numbers, uh, the numbers are larger than the average. Um, in addition to that, they have one that's just a bit larger in length, and that one actually has text capability. They run in the neighborhood about 170 to 180. So that might be an alternative to some people think that maybe the jitterbugs are only option. This might be something else to look at. Yeah, the other, the other thing that um, is attractive to a lot of the folks that buy this particular cell phone is that you can... You don't have to cancel a contract if you have a carrier that uses SIM cards. Or if you don't have a carrier, a lot of seniors buy prepaid because they don't want to have a bill at the end of the month. So it uses SIM, so with AT&T or T-Mobile here in the U.S.? Right, so that's, that's, what, what yes, with? Okay. that's correct. Or you just go and you buy the prepaid SIM card, and they love it, the seniors in particular, because... They're not, you know, chatting on the phone like a teenager. <laughs> well, exactly. And um, what I've done in the past at T-Mobile, it's a little more. It's $100, but it's good for a whole year, and it's like oh, 1,100 minutes or something. So that gives you quite a bit of time, and it, math breaks it down to $8 a month. So there are some economical ways to use a cell phone. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because a lot of people just don't want to be stranded if they went to a doctor in the taxi or the... Uh, you know, special uh, transportation doesn't arrive. So they really do it for their own safety and for their convenience, but they don't need it uh, when they have a landline in the house or they don't prefer to have the use of a cell phone other than for emergency purposes. Very good. I'm trying to think of any other items here. Well, um, we have. I, I just thought of one. Okay. Um, I think probably a lot of your viewing area is familiar with the standard Moshi clock. Yes. Okay. Well, Moshi now is in a travel form, and it's a flat, very small, tiny clock that fits in a pocket, in a shirt pocket, and it has all the features that the uh, standard uh, Moshi has. So... How many batteries does that run on? Um, it takes, I'm opening it up as we're talking here. Okay. It takes uh, three uh, AAA batteries. Okay, and it has the voice commands it like the It has the others? voice commands. Um, of course, you can't talk to it from across the room because the other one, you can do that if it's plugged in. But, right. And it has, a, what's good too is it has a lock on the side. So when you're traveling, if, if the buttons, you know, start getting pushed, nothing's going to happen. Your time will stay the same. Yeah, it doesn't freak out airport security or exactly. anything. Very good. That's okay. Fine. So that's new. That's $25. And uh, we've been doing really well with that to, uh, at the ACB also. Okay. Anything else before we wrap up? Um, I think that pretty much covers it. Okay. Sure very I'll good. Well, give a lot me later. Yes. Uh, well, as always, give us the website and the phone yes, number. Yes, please. Um, it's uh, www.independentliving.com, and we can be reached Monday to Friday, eight to five Eastern Standard at eight hundred five three seven two one one eight. All right, friend, a pleasure to talk with you as always. Thank you. Live at ACB 2010 for com blog and podcast. This is Michael Loff. Hello, ACB Radio Main Menu listeners. 
I'm Chase Crispin, and in these tutorials, I will provide to you information on the Refresher Braille 18 Braille display from the American Printing House for the Blind. In this first segment that you will hear today, I will give you a brief intro to the unit and go through a physical description. The Refresher Braille 18 is a very small display. If you are familiar with the Braille Plus or the Icon, it is very similar to the size of those devices. It is about the size of my hand, both in length and width, and it is not very thick, so this is a very portable display. The display does not come with a case, but it is made to be more durable than other similar displays, so if you travel with it, for example, it should still be safe. The Refresher Braille 18 is manufactured by Baum, like other very familiar Braille displays that you may have, and it does have a Braille keyboard on its face. The Refresher Braille 18 works with several devices, including the Icon from Level Star, the Braille Plus from APH, JAWS for Windows, WindowWise, System Access, Talks for Symbian, MobileSpeak, as well as NVDA if you have BRLTTY installed. You can also use the Refresher Braille 18 with Mac OS 10.6 Snow Leopard with VoiceOver, its included screen reader, as well as the iPod Touch, iPhone, and in future, the iPad, running iOS version 4. The Refresher Braille 18, being as it works with BRLTTY, will also work on Linux distributions that support BRLTTY, such as Vinix. All devices except the iOS 4 devices, except both USB and Bluetooth with the APH Refresher Braille. I will now begin a physical description of the Refresher Braille 18. Its default orientation is with the Braille keys closest to you and the actual Braille display cells facing away from you. If the display is in this orientation, you will feel 18 cells of Braille. Each cell has 8 dots. There is a small space, and then below the cells, you will feel 18 cursor routing buttons. These cursor routing buttons are very easy to feel, and there is a gap between each button. The buttons are small, but round and pronounced, so you shouldn't have trouble feeling the buttons. Below the cursor routing buttons, you will find three buttons spaced apart. On the left edge of the display, this is your button to pan back to the left. The center button is your auxiliary spacebar, which we'll talk about in just a minute. And finally, to the right of that, is the pan right button. Below that, you'll find your six Braille keys. From left to right, you have dot three, dot two, dot one, and then a small space between these three keys and the other three keys, and then you'll find dots four, dot five, and finally dot six. In between dots one and four and slightly down, you'll feel a raised button. This is called the joystick. It is a five position joystick, which means it can perform the, your five basic functions. Pulling the joystick down towards you will act as the down arrow, to the left will be as the left arrow, to the right will be as the right arrow, 
up will be the up arrow, and pressing down on it would be like enter or select. Finally, at the bottom of the display closest to you is three buttons, the shift key or dot seven, a longer key, which is the space bar, and to the right of that, another smaller key, which is the control key or dot eight. On the edge of the refresher braille 18 closest to you is the power button. This is almost flat with the unit, but you will still be able to feel it. If you hold it in, you'll hear this sound. That is the braille cells vibrating and it turns the braille display on. To turn the display off, you will hold this button down and you hear two vibrations, which means the display is now off. On the left edge of the braille display is the USB charging port. It is recessed, so you'll need to put the USB cable in this little recessed area. Also note that you can not only put the USB cable in this port, but a standard USB charger, so you can charge the Refresher Braille 18 either through USB on the computer or through a USB wall charger. Note that APH does not sell the USB wall charger. You will need to purchase one on your own. The other edges as well as the bottom of the Refresher Braille that sits on the desk do not have anything as the Refresher Braille 18 does not have a user accessible battery compartment. We will now start up the Refresher Braille and take a look at its menus. I'll turn the display on. When you first turn the display on, if it is not connected to any devices that access it, you will feel the Refresher Braille 18's main menu. The first item is the display's name, which is changeable. By default, you will see APH followed by a space and your 8-digit serial number. This serial number will be what technical support personnel may ask for if you should need to contact them. We will get to how to change this in just a second. If you press the next button, that is the rightmost button below the cursor routing buttons, you move to the next item in the menu. Next, you will find the battery status item. This does not show a traditional percentage amount, but it shows a system of braille cells. The largest portion of the line says battery in grade one braille, followed by a space, status, and then a colon, and then a space, and then where your status will be shown. If you have a fully charged battery, you will have three cells full, meaning all eight dots will be up. If your battery is medium charged, you will see two, and if your battery is getting low, you will only see one. Note that you may also see partial cells. If your Refresher Braille 18's battery is low, you will not need to look at this item, as battery low will be shown on the display. Your battery will not run low that often, however, as with Bluetooth, you still get many hours of battery life, and anytime you use the unit on USB, it automatically charges. We'll now go to the next item in the menu by pressing the next button. And now you see standby time. So you see standby, time, and then a colon, that is in grade one braille. Then you'll see a minus sign, dots three, six, two numbers, an M standing for minutes, and a plus sign. 
Standby time means the amount of minutes before the display will go into a standby mode. This doesn't mean the display will be turned all the way off, it just means that dis the display will be in a standby state using less battery. The default is 15 minutes, but if you want to decrease or increase this amount, you will push the cursor routing button under the minus or plus signs. So if I want to increase my standby time to 20 minutes, I'll press the cursor routing button under the plus sign. I'll go ahead and press that. It changes to 16. I'll press it again. The display changes to 17. Again, we'll change it to 18, 19, and finally 20 minutes. You don't need to save your settings. They will automatically be saved. We'll go ahead and go to the next option in the menu. Now you see APO time. Some blank on the display a minus sign, a time amount, the letter H, and then a plus sign. APO stands for automatic power off. This means the amount of hours the display will wait before it shuts totally off. The default is four hours, but this works the same way as the amount of standby time. Minus, you'll press the cursor routing buttons under the minus or plus signs to increase or decrease this amount. I prefer to have it at a smaller amount to give me better battery life, so I'll press the cursor routing button under the minus sign. We're at three hours, and one more time will bring us to two hours. So again, the display will now read APO space DIME colon few blank cells, the minus sign, a blank cell, two H, and the plus sign. Again, this setting will automatically be saved. The next option in the menu will say firmware version. Depending on the time when you are listening to this, this may be different, but you will see the words firmware version followed by a colon, two numbers, point, and two numbers. For example, firmware version 02.00. Next is your serial number. Again, that is your eight-digit number that you saw earlier. If we push next again, you'll come to default settings. This will initialize your FreshBrail 18 to its default settings. This will not ruin any connections you've set up, but just settings like the name of your display, your standby time, and your automatic power off time. You would simply press the cursor routing buttons under the word default and it would automatically restart and come up with the default settings. We'll go to the next option and you see menu off. If we press the, one of the three cursor routing buttons under the word off, because this is in grade one Braille, the display now goes blank as we are not connected to a device at this time. If you are not in the menu and you wish to re-enter the menu, you can hold the first and the last cursor routing buttons, so under the first and last braille cell, and while you're holding those down, hold dot seven and eight or the shift and control key. After you hold this for a short amount of time, the menu will reappear on your display. If you would like to change the name of your Refresher Braille 18, which you may want to do to either identify your device as yours if for some reason you lose it, or because this is also the name that shows up when you pair your display with a Bluetooth device so that other people aren't connecting to your Refresher Braille. So as you can see, naming your device could be very important in a crowded setting. To do this, you'll want to make sure you're on the menu item where it says APH and then your serial number. And then you can press a cursor routing button under any of the digits except the APH or the space. Those will be there at all times. Anything 
The rest of the cells on the display can be edited. So if I want to change my Refresher Braille 18's name to Chase, I can push the cursor routing button under the dot two, and then what you do at this point is you'll see a blinking cursor, so dot seven and dot eight will be flashing up and down, and you'll choose through all the letters and numbers by using the joystick by pressing it up and down. So if I press the joystick up, we see A, B, C, and I'll leave it there. Now what we'll do is push the one under the next number, and I'll move it up to H. So pressing it eight times, move it, moved it to H. Under the next number, push it up once for A, up to S, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S. Now if we keep going, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z, then next you'll have zero, one, two, all the way up to nine. So you can also type numbers, but I'm going back down to S. Okay, I'm now on S. Now I'll press the cursor writing button under the next number, and I'll go up to the E. And now we have C-H-A-S-C, but we have three more numbers on the display. So to clear those, what we'll go ahead and do is press the cursor routing button under the next number. goes blank. We don't need to do anything else, so I'll press it under the next number. Also goes blank. We have one more number up there. And that's also now blank. Now that we have all the numbers cleared and what we want written on the display there, to make the editing mode stop, you will hold the first two and the last two cursor routing buttons down. The system restarts and now the first item in the menu shows APH Chase. Now the Bluetooth name of my display when I search for it will be Refresh Your Braille Chase. Note that you can use the other 14 cells, that is the cells that don't have APH or the space on them, to write whatever you want. So you have quite a bit of room to write what you would like on there. Also note that if you clear your default settings, the name of the display will go back to APH followed by your serial number. This will conclude this week's segment of the Refresher Braille 18 tutorial. Check back next week to find out how to connect and use your Refresher Braille 18 with your Icon or Braille Plus. That concludes this edition of Main Menu. We trust you've enjoyed the program. On behalf of the entire Main Menu team, I'm Jamie Pauls wishing you and yours a great week.